Thank you, Jeremy and Zach, for continuing our worship and music. Now, would you stand with me as we read from God's Word this morning? In 1 John, we're going to be reading chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. Again, we're reading out of the book of 1 John, chapter 2, verses 3 through 6, and you can find this in your Pew Bible on page 708. Now by this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your grace and mercy, your Holy Spirit that allows us to take your word and apply it to our lives. Lord, that we can walk as you walked. God, that our lives can reflect obedience to your word and to your commandments. God, may the message this morning just reach deep into our hearts. God, may it just uh, spur us on to a deeper uh, abidance in you. And God, just an obedience of your word in Christ's name. Amen. Well, on this Father's Day, we are continuing in our worship series through the book of 1 John, and uh, glad you're here as we continue in that, and uh, something we started on Memorial Day weekend, it's our summer series all the way through Labor Day weekend, and so we're continuing right on. Uh, as most of you know, I'm a dad, a father, have been for quite some time now, 19 years to be specific, and there are many joys that come with being a father in one of the joys that I've had as, as, as a dad has been snow skiing with my two sons. In fact, there's a couple of pictures coming up of, of times I've skied with them. And uh, I started skiing with my two sons when Jack was four years old and Tyler was eight years old. Now they're 15 and 19 and they think they're better than me. I don't know where they get that. No, actually, they've become quite good and they probably are, if truth be told, better than me now. I hate to admit that, uh, but they've somewhat surpassed me in skiing, and, uh, and so we have, we've had created a lot of memories going out to Colorado and going snow skiing as a family for the last 10, 12 years, whatever the case has been now, and uh, this last winter, we had the opportunity finally to do a, a father-son ski trip, which we'd never done before, and so uh, me and Jack and Tyler, we, we did this over uh, President's Day. Uh, weekend and this last February we went out to Wolf Creek and went skiing and you see some pictures there. In fact what's interesting, this is a, a catwalk we actually went across in that spine or that ridge. We walked out across, hiked it and then that's Jack right there on the snowboard and getting ready to ski down. And it just shows you a little bit because I talk about it all the time what it's like to go snow skiing out there. And we just have a wonderful, wonderful time doing it. Uh, and then we went back last spring break. A month later, uh, Tyler didn't get a go with this this time, but Darla and I went with Jack. And in fact, uh, Chris Mustard and her son Jacob always come with us uh, over spring break. And we went out. And one of the mountains we went to was Buttermilk Mountain. And uh, how, if you if you've watched the X Games, how many have ever watched the X Games on TV? This the snow X Games that is always held at Buttermilk Mountain. 
And we were skiing out there, and Jack and I decided we're going to go to that mountain, and we're going to ski where the, you know, the, the X Games people do their stuff. And there's this terrain park we, d we take. And I kid you not, this terrain park is one of the gnarliest terrain parks Jack and I have ever done. It's from top of the mountain to the bottom of the mountain, and it's, it's where these snowboarders and skiers do. And we're like, man, we got to do this, right, Jack? It was a lot of fun. And so we'd never been there before, and we just we go up the lift, and we... We just, I mean, we just started shooting down the mountain during this train park. And if you don't know what a train park is, it basically is, they have all these man-made jumps and moguls and uh, rails and boxes and just a lot of jumps that you can do. And uh, it, it's quite fun. You're, some of you are like, how can that be fun? Trust me, it is. So Jack and I take off, and he's in front of me. I'm right behind him, and we're zipping down. And all of a sudden, we're, we're towards the bottom of the mountain, and I just lose sight of him. It's like he just disappeared out of nowhere. I'm like, where in the world did he go? And then I find out where he went, because then I hit the jump, and he's landing, landed at the bottom of the jump, and he's wiped out. And I wiped out. And it was, I mean, too, it, it hurt. Oh, did it hurt. I wanted to cry so bad when I landed at the bottom of that jump. And Jack's barely getting up. Yo, Dad! You know, we're both just wiped out, and it, we're, we're hurting, and we're like, oh my gosh, you're probably wondering, what happened? Well, unbeknownst to us, because we weren't sure what we were doing, never been down this train park, this, uh, you come off this jump, and it's like a five-foot drop, and it's blind. You don't know it's there. And so we, didn't, we weren't prepared for it. You know, we've done jumps all the time, but you know it. You know it's there, and so you prepare yourself. We didn't know this was there. And so we, you come off, and you're, you're like, ah! And that's literally what happened to both of us. And I'm like, Jack, you know, we're laying there. I'm like, Jack, we got to get out of the way. There's going to be other people coming down. They're going to just kill us if we don't get out of the way. And oh, I, I, I look like a 50-year-old man. It, man, it made me look old. I hurt so bad. And uh, now I say all that because there are some things in life that you want to be really, really sure about. Uh, because so much rides on the outcome, and our salvation is one of those things. You see, taking a risk on a train park, well, that's one thing, not such a big deal. But you don't want to take risk about your eternal destiny. And since heaven or hell awaits every human being when they die, not to know where you will spend eternity is the worst risk that you can take in life. Your eternal destiny is not something that you can afford to be unsure about. There is no more paramount issue in your life than the issue of whether or not you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you have eternal life. If you don't know for sure if you're saved, listen, you are living in this precarious situation. You are living in danger. The good news is, God wants us to know. We can know for sure if we are saved or not. God wants you to have assurance of your salvation. He wants you to know that you have eternal life. And this is why John wrote this little book, five chapters long, called 1 John. In fact, he tells us in chapter 5, verse 13, the theme verse of the, the book, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So how can you know? Well, what John does throughout this book, he provides us a series of tests in which we can discern for ourselves, in which we can look into within our hearts, and with the help of the Holy Spirit, and with the help of God's Word, we can begin to judge 
whether or not we know Jesus, whether or not we have eternal life through these series of tests. And there's three tests that he repeats over and over again throughout the book. In fact, the first test we already looked at in the very first four verses of chapter one is, is a theological test or a doctrinal test. And it's whether you believe in Jesus Christ, but not your imagination of Jesus Christ, but the revealed Jesus Christ, the one who is revealed in the word of God. And John tells us about that. And that's the first test. And now we come to this other test, a second test that John provides for us here. Now, most of us don't like tests. At least I know I don't. Tests conjure up bad images in our minds. Perhaps a test conjures up that horrible math test in high school, or that stress test your doctor ordered, or that dreaded driver's license test. But some tests are absolutely vital to take. And John's test that we come to again here is that kind of test. John is going to give you an opportunity to test yourself as to whether you are truly saved. So here's the most important test you will ever answer. Are you ready? In your notes coming up on the screen, are you saved and you know it? Are you saved and you know it? And if you are, then your life will surely show it. And the, how it will show it, John tells us in this passage of Scripture, is by your obedience. Remember, John just got done talking about what to do when you sin. We learned last week that true believers don't deny their sin, but they deal with their sin by confessing it to God. And because Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, John tells us then that God will always forgive us of our sins. He will always cleanse us of that dirtiness and that unrighteousness that's in our hearts. But John doesn't want to give the wrong impression about this either that we can just go out and sin wherever we want and that it's no big deal. John says, no, 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 that's not what this is about. And so now he goes on and he tells us that those who have truly experienced God's saving grace and salvation, we will show it by living in obedience to Jesus Christ. In fact, John writes in the very first verse here of this section, in verse 3, he says, now by this we know that we know him. And so he comes out and he just says, hey, here's how you can know if you know Jesus. Here's how. And then he says it, if we keep his commandments. Now, please understand something, though. John is not saying that we know Jesus by keeping his commandments. He's saying that we know that we know Jesus by keeping his commandments. Now, that's a subtle difference, but it's a very profound difference. Because John is not answering the question, how do you get saved? How does one become a believer in Jesus Christ? No, John is answering this qu the question, how do you know you're saved? How do you know you have eternal life? And his answer to that question is, you know you're saved because you obey Jesus' commandments. And as we'll see, not perfectly. But it's, it's, it's what characterizes our life holistically. In other words, if you're saved and you know it, then your life will surely show it by your obedience, John says. Now, what is the correlation? What is the connection between salvation, obedience, and assurance? Because what John does is he weaves all three of these things together. They're tied together, linked together, woven together. And I want to show you this. Notice it in your notes here, the correlation. 
Obedience is not a condition of salvation. For that would be salvation by works. But obedience is an evidence of salvation, which is by grace through faith. And in turn, that obedience produces assurance of our salvation. But here's the struggle we have as Christ followers. Uh, it's, the, it's the problem or the tension, if you will, that we have in our lives. It's impossible to maintain high levels of assurance of our salvation when we exercise low levels of disobedience or low levels of obedience, I should say. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, the lack of practical obedience to Christ is the root of 999 of every 1,000 of our doubts and fears. Someone else said it, says, you had better lose your assurance when you walk in disobedience. In other words, if your life is characterized by disobedience, you should have no assurance of your salvation. We could summarize John's test of obedience with this one question then. Is there enough evidence to prove you're a Christian, to prove that you know Jesus, that you're a true believer in Jesus Christ. Is there enough evidence? And the evidence that he's pointing to specifically in these verses here is the evidence of your obedience. Now, this is a great question because what it does, it forces us to do what the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, when he says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. And John is telling us that your obedience is one of the surest proofs of evidence that you're a true believer in Jesus Christ. In fact, John says, your obedience shows something about you. In fact, he even goes on and he tells us that our obedience to Jesus Christ shows four things about us. And that's what I want us to look at here. Notice the first thing that it shows. Number one, obedience shows that you truly know Jesus. Again, look at what John writes in verse 3. Now, by this we know that we know Him, speaking of Jesus, if we keep His commandments. Now, this is the first time in the book that we see John's very favorite word. His favorite word in the whole book is this little word, no. In fact, he, we know it's his favorite word because he uses it four different times in this passage of Scripture, and he uses it over 30 times in the book of 1 John. Now, why does John use this word so often? Because John says, listen, we can know something in life. He wants us to be sure about something. He wants us to know Something, and that specifically is, you're, know that you know Jesus Christ. In other words, John is saying your salvation is not a matter of guesswork. You don't have to wonder about it. You don't have to worry about if you are a true believer or not. God wants you to know that you know Jesus personally and intimately through faith in Him. And John says, obedience to Jesus shows that you truly know Jesus. In other words, if you know Jesus, you obey Jesus. And if you obey Jesus, you can be sure you know Jesus. For John, it's inconceivable. It's impossible to know Jesus and not obey Him. Why? 
Because a true believer is always characterized by obedience. When John says, if we keep his commandments, the word keep there means to guard something as your treasure. That's the attitude we ought to have when it comes to obeying Jesus' commandments. It's a treasure to guard. And the, that word keep is in the present tense, which t- stresses continual obedience. It's not just that I obey one time and forget about it. Oh, I did my duty. I don't have to worry about it anymore. No, this is something that characterizes our life. It's ongoing until Jesus returns or until we die. Remember, we're not talking about perfection here, though. The issue is not sinless perfection in our obedience, but a life that is characterized by obedience. John has already made it clear in the previous verses we looked at last Sunday that what we will do what? We're going to sin. We're going to stumble and fall in sin along the way. And when we do, though, true believers do what? They confess that sin. We apply 1 John 1, 9 to our lives. At the same time, John is, is, is the flip side of that coin. He's now telling us, listen, if you have absolutely no interest in doing what Jesus says in his word, if what Jesus says is of little importance to you, it has no priority in your life, no value in your life, that should be a red flag. Warning lights ought to be going off that you may not be a true believer in Jesus Christ. There's no assurance that you truly know him without obedience. Now, did you notice that John also says if we keep his commandments, as in the plural, John's emphasizing, in other words, all the commandments of Jesus Christ, not just an isolated few. In fact, in verse 5, John even broadens it to include keeping Jesus' word. In other words, the word of God. We don't make up the commands. We don't get to decide which ones we like and agree with and which we can ignore. When we are born again, it's not selective obedience into which we enter. Rather, our new heart has a desire to obey all of God's Word. And so one of the ways you know, John says, you're a true believer is if you obey Jesus completely, that is all the commands, not perfectly again, and you obey him continually. That is, it's, it's, it's habitual. It it's characterizes your life. Again, not perfection. John's point is simple. Your life of obedience shows something. It shows you something that you truly know Jesus. But he goes on. John tells us that our obedience also shows something else. Number two, he says your obedience shows that you are not a liar. That you're not a liar. Now, perhaps some of you are wondering, well, what happens if someone says they know Jesus, but their life is not characterized by obedience to Jesus? Well, John answers that question right here in verse 4. When he writes, He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Now, John is giving us a warning here about those who claim to know Jesus, yet do not obey Jesus. And it's interesting, you've got to admit, John, he doesn't really hold anything back, does he? I mean, he just comes out and just says it. 
I mean, there's no political correctness here with him. He just tells it like it is. You see, in other words, the faith that says but does not obey, John is really saying, you know what, that is superficial faith. It's false faith. You can't live in ongoing disobedience and then say you know Jesus. That's a lie. In fact, John says that person is a liar about knowing Jesus, and the truth of Jesus is not even in him. In other words, the truth of Jesus isn't in you if you say you know him but don't obey him. Because if you truly know Jesus, you will walk in the light and not in darkness. Your life will begin to change. Again, not perfectly, but progressively over time. Why? Because the truth of Jesus, what we refer to as the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is the power of God unto salvation. And that gospel, that truth, Jesus Christ, listen, it turns our lives upside down and it changes us. When we enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ by faith, we're a new creation, Paul says. There's something different about us. We get a new heart, and along with a new heart, we get some new desires. We understand we have a new master, and we no longer have the right to run our lives the way we want. The reason we came to Jesus in the first place, because we begin to realize, we came to our senses, that man, you know what, I've made a mess of my life. How I've been living my life, doing my own thing, being my own boss, is not getting me anywhere. Oh, it may get me some temporary satisfaction, some temporary happiness. It may get me ahead a little bit in this world, but it's not getting me anywhere in reconciliation with God. And so we come to our senses and like, man, my life is a disaster. It's a mess. And we want Him to take over. God save me. Make me a new person. Give me a new heart. And so the truth of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, always then leads to a life of obedience. Now, the reason John is emphasizing this is not by accident. In John's day, there were false believers in the church. Uh, in that John's day, they were known as the Gnostics. And these Gnostics celebrated all kinds of knowledge about Jesus without any obedience to Jesus. And John says, listen, that ain't right. That's not how it works. They claimed to know Jesus, but didn't obey him, and John calls them on it. He puts them to the test. Even today, there are people who claim to know Jesus. They may even attend church. They may listen to sermons. They may read blogs, but they don't obey him. And though they may even carry a fire insurance card that reminds them of when they said a prayer, their lives are not governed by God's word. Oh, they confess with their mouths the gospel of Jesus Christ, but there's no life change. And John says, listen, that, that's lying. It's not adding up. There's a contradiction here. They're, they're liars about their relationship with Jesus and the truth is not in them. Now, John was not only targeting a great danger in his day within the churches, but he's also targeting a great danger even in our day. Because if we're honest with ourselves, we have to admit it is easy to attend church on Sundays. Listen to the sermon. 
leave with our heads full of knowledge, and still live empty lives void of a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Consider the example of one of Jesus' disciples. I'm sure you remember the name Judas. I mean, here's a guy who heard the truth of Jesus Christ. He walked with the truth of Jesus Christ every day for three years, and yet he was still lost in his sins, died in his sins, and is now spending eternity in hell. Listen, we're just going through the motions if there's no evidence of obedience in our lives. Why? Because our obedience shows something. It reveals a changed life, a changed heart. It proves that we have saving faith in Jesus. Obedience shows that we truly know Jesus and have eternal life. So let's pause here for a moment. And I want to throw out a question for us to consider. What is the trajectory, I'm getting tongue-tied, trajectory of your life? A true believer will have a trajectory a trajectory of behavior that is characterized by obedience to God's Word. And yes, although there will be times when you stumble in sin, the basic trajectory of your life will be one of obedience if you are a true believer. On the other hand, if the trajectory of your life is away from God, and disobedience characterizes your life, yet you claim to know God, then John says you are self-deceived. In fact, you are living in a spiritual state of great danger. And so John is warning us here about a mindset that thinks to ourselves, how I live is no big deal, and I can still claim to know Jesus Christ. I can still have assurance of my salvation. And John says, no, it does matter. Obedience shows something. It shows that you truly know Jesus and that you are not a liar about what you are confessing, about what you are saying about yourself. What else does obedience show? Well, number three, obedience shows that you love God. That you love God. We see this in verse 5. Look at what John says again here. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. Now the phrase love of God, it can refer to God's love for us, or it can even refer to our love for God, or perhaps even both. John seems to be saying that obedience is our response to God's love for us, as well as the demonstration of our love for God. And so when John says that God's love is perfected in us, it doesn't mean we're now perfect. Wish that was the case, but it doesn't. But rather, God's love is being perfected. In other words, it's being brought to maturity in us as we obey Him. In essence, the more we grow in our obedience to God, the more we show our love for God. But when we say we love God, and then we don't do the things He says, John is saying, "Uh uh-oh, there's a disconnect. There's a contradiction in our lives. Why? Because our obedience is a demonstration of our love for God and God's love being manifested or brought to maturity in our own lives. So here's another question for us to consider. Do you obey Jesus because you, quote, have to or because you want to? 
In other words, do you obey Jesus because you love the one who is telling you what you should do? John is simply repeating what he had heard Jesus say many times, many years earlier in that upper room. John was there when he heard Jesus say in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, as I just mentioned in the beginning, I have two boys, and uh, it's been interesting. My boys, we've taught them, you need to obey us, your mom and dad, as, because we're your parents, and that's something that God commands. And so my boys obey Darla and I because they have to. All right? That's the first level of obedience in a lot of ways. You learn you have to. But let me tell you, it pleases me. Oh, does it please me so much more. It brings joy to my heart when they obey me, not because they have to, but because they want to. That's the evidence that they really love me as their father. Not because they have to, but because they want to. In the same way, obedience to the Lord's command is the evidence of our love for Him. So don't say you love Jesus if you're not obeying Jesus. Don't say you love Jesus if you are living contrary to God's Word. If you do, John is basically looking you in the face, square in the eyes, and saying you're a liar. Your life is lying about that. Because when God's love reaches to you, it begins to change you from the inside out. It not only brings about your salvation, listen, God's love, the power of the gospel, the truth of Jesus Christ, it also enables your obedience. As one writer says, God's love does not leave people unchallenged or unchanged. Therefore, John says in the last part of verse 5, by this we know that we are in Him. Again, referring to our obedience to the commandments. If we keep, treasure it, obey it. There's one last thing John says that our obedience shows. Number four, obedience shows that you are following Jesus. As John brings this discussion of obedience to a close, he points us to the ultimate example now of obedience, and that is none other than Jesus Christ. If we claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, then we will live in obedience because that is how Jesus lived. And so John writes then in verse 6, He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Now, if we read this verse correctly, then all who claim to know Christ will follow him and live as he lived. Not perfectly, but purposefully. And by the way, isn't that what the word Christian means? A Christian, is, is, it means little Christ. A Christian is one who resembles Christ or imitates Christ, follows Christ. If there was one thing that marked the life of Christ while He lived on this earth, listen, it was His obedience to His heavenly Father. His submission to the will of God. And as a result, it only stands to reason that if you say you know Him, if you say you're a Christian, then obedience will characterize your life. In fact, when Jesus said and gives that great invitation, come and follow me, implicit in that command was the call to follow Him in a life of obedience to God's Word. Plain and simple. If you're following Jesus, 
then you will be obeying Jesus. You will be imitating Jesus. In other words, you will walk as Jesus walked. And when John uses that word walk, we briefly looked at it last Sunday, he uses it as a metaphor for, a, uh, for the conduct of our life, for the life, our lifestyle. And so we are to walk as Jesus walked in every area of our lives. Jesus is our example for living. And so in some ways, true believers really do ask, what would Jesus do? How would Jesus walk? How would Jesus respond in this situation? What would Jesus do here? But we also ask, how do I do what Jesus did? How do I walk as he walked? And John gives us the secret right here in this verse. He says we must abide in him, which means being in fellowship with Jesus, being in relationship with Jesus. Listen to what Jesus himself said in John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. So if we are going to follow Jesus and walk as he walked, we need to abide in him. We need to be in fellowship with him. That's where the power comes. Now, why then, as we think about this, why is walking as Jesus walked the surest proof that you know Him. In other words, why is obedience to the Word of God, the commands of Jesus, following Jesus, why is that one of the surest proofs that you really do know Jesus? Well, because it shows, plain and simple, that God is at work in your life. Think of it this way. John is confronting people in the church back then where anyone could say they know Jesus. And that's even true now. Anyone can say something, which is what we see nowadays in our social media and in news. There is a proliferation, we have already learned, of, quote, fake news. And people just ramble whatever they want with no evidence of anything. All these, quote, anonymous sources. So people, it's easy. Anyone can say anything they want to say. And so a lot of people in John's day and even in our day are saying it, and there's nothing remarkable about simply saying, yeah, I know Jesus. But when you see with your own eyes the dead made alive in Christ, when you see lives being transformed from walking in darkness to walking in the light, when you see the disobedient becoming obedient to God and lovers of God, the only reaction is what? It is to declare truly this is the work of God in that person's life. There's no other explanation for it. Because in our flesh, we do what? We live unto ourselves. We satisfy the flesh. We walk to please us. But when God begins to do a work in our hearts and our lives, it changes us. Now, let's go back to the question we started with. Are you saved and you know it? Dads, here it is, Father's Day. How would you answer that question? Are you saved and you know it? Because this is the most important question anyone can answer. And John tells us here that if you're saved and you know it, then your life will surely show it by this test. 
the test of obedience. And as a result, you will gain the joy of assurance. In other words, there is joy, there is confidence, there is comfort in knowing that you know Jesus and have eternal life. Especially in this world in which we live. Man, I, you know, whether you get your news from the TV or you get it from social media, wherever the case is, and you look out across our world and our country, you're like, where does joy come from? Confidence. Courage. It doesn't come from what you see. It comes from knowing something, knowing that there is a future beyond this world, and I'm part of that. Knowing that I know Jesus Christ, knowing that He has a plan for my life that extends all the way to eternity with Him forever. I have eternal life. And so here's the joy of assurance. True believers in Jesus enjoy the assurance of their salvation because they know Him and obey Him. Here's the thing, though, about assurance. You don't want any leaks in your assurance. Like a car tire bleeding air, holes in your assurance will rob your joy. It will leave you flat. A few Sundays ago, my nephew, Zach, walked out to his car here in the parking lot to a flat tire. Zach, were you happy about that? No, no joy in that. He was deflated. <laughs> Listen, the only real assurance is airtight assurance. And airtight assurance comes through a life of obedience. You can know you are truly saved as you see yourself walking the path of obedience. Listen, assurance of salvation becomes real, not so much by looking at a past event, such as a prayer that you maybe said as a kid, but by observing your present obedience to God's Word. Yes, isolated acts of disobedience will still occur in our lives. And for some, there may even be extended seasons of disobedience. But that's when we deal with our sin by confessing it and remembering that Jesus is our atoning sacrifice for our sins and then beginning to walk the path of obedience once again. And as we do that, John says, the assurance of your salvation will continue to increase and so will your joy. The fullness of joy will be complete. It will not be fully complete until on this side of, of death, but on the next side it will come to a fruition which we will never, can even begin to imagine. But we can begin to taste it now and experience that joy now, John says. There is joy in the assurance of our salvation. And John says, there's a test in which you can judge yourself. It's the test of obedience. With your heads bowed, and as we come to the end of this message, you may be asking, well, what are we supposed to do with what we've heard this morning? Well, first, let me encourage you to honestly examine your own life. In fact, there's some questions at the bottom of your handout in which you can kind of go through and evaluate your life. 
And then the second thing to do with this message is if you are a Christian, is to continue to follow Jesus and obey God's word. This is what brings the assurance of your salvation. The praise team's going to sing, and as they do, this is your opportunity to respond right where you're seated. Take a few minutes here to reflect on your own life, evaluate your heart, and perhaps there's even unconfessed sin in your heart that needs to be confessed. And bring it to the cross, bring it to Jesus Christ, and receive his forgiveness and his cleansing.